So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. So two things stood out to me about the incredibly rich conversation I had this week with Calmetta Coleman, a former reporter at the Wall Street Journal and a former colleague of mine. The first was the depths to which the universe, and I use that word as shorthand for whatever higher power or organizing principle you may or may not believe in, but the depths to which that force seemed to be conspiring to get Calmetta to write for a living, above all else, even above all other interests and aspirations that she might have had for herself, like, for example, speaking in public. That, as it turns out, was something she enjoyed immensely, at least in equal measure to writing. And though to this day it comes to her so much more easily than writing, the universe, as you'll soon hear, had all of zero interest in opening up that pathway to her in any way, shape, or form. The second was a very frank observation that Calmetta made to me towards the end of our discussion, and that is, the realization that to a large degree, her journey lacked deliberateness. Meaning that unlike her husband, whom she cites as having been very purposeful about his career path, hers was not quite as proactive. And I love that she made that observation because I think it's one that truly plagues so many of us. Many of us who more or less have taken the jobs that were in front of us for some reason other than having purposefully plotted our destination as well as the path to getting there. So with tremendous gratitude for her willingness to share her journey, I give you Calmetta Coleman. Excellent, Calmetta. Well, th- firstly, thank you for, uh, for agreeing to share your, your journey. Happy to do it. Calmetta, question number one. Um, do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what it is that I'm doing here on this planet? All the time. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I don't know that everybody does. I assume every, everyone does, but I always think about what is it that I was actually sent here to do. So what should I be doing? What's my highest calling? Um, and some of that is about what I enjoy doing or kind of what is the most good that I can do for other people and the world. Um, increasingly, I think, you know, what's the thing that's also going to make me happy? Um, and I do believe strongly that that should be part of your work. Yep. Um, increasingly for me. I mean, some people, it, maybe, it's, maybe they work at a job um, and they do what's their mission or their calling outside of that job. Um, it's become increasingly important for me that they be combined. Yep. So I, I do think a lot about that. Yeah. And when, how long have you, um, kind of when's the first time you can remember just starting to think about this concept? Um, that's funny. Um, and, and this has been on my mind a lot lately, even before you first approached me about this. Um, I keep having these memories of being, I don't know, maybe second grade Uh and always trying to trying to write a book. I was always trying to write a book. Uh And so I would start by taking pages of just like notebook paper and stapling together 
and I would, you know, write a title and I would draw a little picture on the front and then I would, you know, try to write a book. But honestly, I would always find that I didn't know enough to put in a book. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> I really didn't have that many words. Uh, but I was always trying to do that. And so I've always felt that I should be writing. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. Or, or telling stories. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And Kalmetta, what what is it that you do today? Um, today, I am Director of Communications for Civic Engagement for the University of Chicago. Yep. And so, um, in a nutshell, what that is, is that I basically look for great stories around the university and ways that we get involved with the community and use university resources to both support um, the community and advance the goals of the university overall. Um and not just the local community, but also the broader city of Chicago and nation and around the, the, the globe, both looking at um, kind of the partnerships that we might have with local community organizations, as well as ways that faculty research and student um, engagement can impact um, the community. And Kalmetta, are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? No. No. Remember, I was going to write a book. So... Um, and, and that's something I've actually thought a lot about in terms of am I where I want it to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Especially when you start to think about, oh, I'm, you know, X number of years old. Is this what I thought I would be doing? Um, while I can't say that I had, at the different points I've had visions of, oh, I'm going to um, have my own magazine. I'm going to, you know, be a novelist. I'm going to, you know, I thought about, about different things. And while I have not, done those, I've actually had really, I think, an extraordinary number of opportunities come my way that I've been able to take advantage of that still have allowed me to um, tell stories, to use sort of the skills that in many ways have come very naturally to me in terms of of writing and storytelling, communicating, Um, but I'm still very much on the journey. So I feel... Um, even though, you know, I continue to get older. In some ways, I feel less pressured and anxious about it than I used to because I recognize that it is a journey and that I am, um, I actually said a half a talk the other day and I realized that since that first, those first efforts at trying to piece together some book, I actually picked up um, the other day um, a journal, like one of those giant um, hardcover bound uh, journals that they used to you know, sell in bookstores, uh, and I guess they still do. I've had it for so many years. Um, and, you know, literally found pieces of, you know, five different, you know, novels or potential books that I had started over time, actually before I even had children, um, and realized that, you know, I finally felt like, felt like, okay, I could actually pick this back up right? and, and sort of keep going with it now because you, you enter different stages of life where you have time. My kids are, you know... Uh, teenagers and kind of have different sets of needs and um, you know, feeling very much still on the journey and good with that. Yeah. Can yeah. we walk a little bit backwards? Um, you, you, mentioned, sure. you mentioned that, you know, all the way back to second grade, you have this idea uh, that you want to write a book and you're trying your hardest to write this book. Talk to me about that. How, how well or poorly would you say that idea of writing a book and whatever that meant, how well or poorly did that get 
preserved for you as you were going through school, through high school, making your way to college? How active of a thought does it remain and how, how do you preserve it? What do you do with it? So I will tell you, it's always been in the that memory has always been in the back of my mind. I don't know if everybody's like this, but I have like certain memories from childhood that sort of consistently replay in yeah. my mind. Yeah. And that's been one. And I have thought about doing other things. Um, and honestly, when I was in high school, I actually had a mentor uh, and guidance counselor who stressed to me something that's continued to be important, which is that you don't have to do just one thing. Yep. Um, you know, and, and that was sort of actual sort of advice he was giving in terms of selecting a career. Cause when you are, and, and honestly, I was good at a number of things, right? So yep. it's, you know, so he was sort of saying, you don't have to choose like forever. Yep. Right. So, right. But you can, you can do some different things at different points in time. So, um, honestly, my first sort of real professional job, um, was like a dream. I got to work for the Wall Street Journal and, you know, to write feature stories for the Wall Street Journal is a different kind of writing that in many ways I wasn't aware of in second grade. Right. right? So I read books in second grade. I didn't read newspapers. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and didn't understand the other kinds of writing you could do that could be really rewarding in that way. So I've gotten to do that and that's been great. And when you are writing for the Wall Street Journal, uh, how fulfilled to that second grade dream are you feeling? Oh, sometimes very much so. Um, sometimes it's really different. I had never imagined, um, you know, even in high school and most of college, uh, probably all of college, <laughs> that I would be a business reporter. Never that never thought never entered my mind except once, jokingly. Um, and when I was in high school, people would always ask me because, you know, I was an honor student and about to graduate and go off to college. And so people would ask me, adults would say, well, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? You know, you, and you don't want to sort of say something lofty, like I'm going to be a novelist. And so one day I was particularly annoyed when actually my hairdresser asked me this question. Uh-huh. And so I actually told her the two craziest things I could think of, which was, hey, maybe I'll be a televangelist uh-huh. or I'll, I'll be a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. I had never actually seen the Wall Street Journal. I'd heard about it on television at that point. Yeah. I was a senior in high school. I grew up in a very small town in Mississippi where, you know, we never, I mean, somebody maybe got it by mail, but I doubt it. Uh, so I actually never saw it until I was in college. Amazing. What I, what I did not know was that there were these opportunities to write these really great feature stories uh, for parts of the, uh, this business newspaper. And so when I was hired at the Wall Street Journal, which was totally... Um, in many ways, I think a fluke, um, that um, I didn't have a beat. They gave me a job, but they didn't actually have a beat to assign me to. So the majority of what I got to write were feature stories like that. Got it. And so I actually got to spend the time and space to do that, to actually learn from a lot of really great editors and writers, a certain writing style that I, I think is very useful in a number of areas, in storytelling, sort of being concise, being sharp, being very detailed. Yep. So I, I felt um, a lot of satisfaction often. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And um, why a fluke? 
Why do you perceive um, it as a fluke? I, uh, a fluke because, so remember, I had never seen the Wall Street Journal. I was, and when I got to college, by the time I, I graduated, I had decided, because enough people had mentioned it to me, that I would study communications and maybe go into journalism. But when I selected my college, I failed to figure out whether they had a journalism program. And so I ended up there. There was no journalism program. There was a mass communications program, which was fine. And then I also thought, for good measure, I'll also co-major in business because you never know. Maybe there's something I can do with that. Right. And so we kept getting these assignments in about my sophomore year. Within sophomore year, we had a class. It was a marketing class where the teacher would always assign these sections of the Wall Street Journal that we were supposed to read and be writing these reports on. So they would pile up in my room, in my dorm room. And then, like, at the end when they were due, I would, like, go through each of them and pull out these stories and write these very last-minute uh, reports yeah. about, about what was in the Wall Street Journal. Never really thought about it again after that. So fast forward a year or two, I'm writing obituaries at the Times Picayune in New Orleans while I was a college student. Um, and it's the day that I have, and so I've, I've applied to journalism school at Northwestern at the Medill School of Journalism, um, and it, it's the day that I found out that I had been accepted. So I actually worked, I wrote obits, so I worked at night, and I would get off at midnight. So this particular night, my editor, it would really just be the two of us there. By the time it was all done, us and the security guards, and he was so excited that I had gotten accepted to Northwestern, and then I was going, and it happened that the business editor comes in that night, maybe about 11, so he forgot something at his desk or something like that. So he's so excited, and he says, hey, come over. I want you to meet um, our um, part-time obit writer who's going to go and um, go to journalism school in Chicago, and it's going to be great, but she's going to intern for us this summer because I was going to intern you know, at the newspaper. And so the business editor looks at me, and he says, you're going to write for us this summer? I said, yeah. And he said, I think it's a bad idea if you go to journalism school. It's a waste of your time. And he says, but if you're going to work for, write for us this summer, I want you to come and write some business stories for me. Yep. So I arrived at the time sticking in that summer to do my internship. The first half of the summer, they don't put me downtown. They put me in a bureau, like out in Slidell, Louisiana or somewhere. Second half of the summer, so, you know, I go for, you know, whatever it was, four weeks. I'm working uh, out in the uh, out in this bureau. The second half of the summer, I arrived downtown in the main newsroom. This guy, the business editor, comes and stands out in the middle of the floor, first thing in the morning, and screams, "Is Calmetta Coleman here yet?" So I say, "Yep." So he says, "Yeah, I've been right. Remember, you promised me you were going to write some stories for me." Okay, so he sends me out to you know write business stories, and I remember that he sent me to write about this woman who was selling pralines in the French Quarter. And he tells me, he says, so if you're going to write business stories, you always have to ask yourself, where is the money? Where is the money? You should always be thinking, where is the money? Yep. So I write my first story, and he asks me to write more and more stories. And then at the end of the summer, he calls me into his office, and he says, I still think it's a bad idea for you to go to journalism school. But if you're going to Chicago, call this guy. He gives me a piece of paper and it's folded up. And by now, I actually have a plan, right? I'm going to have my own magazine because I'm going to Northwestern. I'm going to major in magazine publishing. So I put the little, I had all my stuff packed, you know, and ready to go. And so I put this little piece of paper somewhere in my stuff and I forgot all about it. So I met journalism school 
in my dorm. I've been there maybe a month. I had my phone ring. And it's Charlie Blaine, the business editor from the Times Picayune. And he says, Calmetta, you never called my friend. Why didn't you call my friend? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> stalking you. And so I'm, I'm, right. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. He says, yeah. He said, he said, just call him. Go talk to him. He'll buy you lunch. So I was like, okay, fine. So I find this piece of paper, and I see for the first time that it's the Chicago bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal. Right. Is it that like nuts that I had not even looked at it? Right. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, so I call this guy, and, you know, he's the funniest guy, and he says, oh, come down to the office, and I'll buy you lunch, and da 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 And so I, I tell my mom, I say, you know, who lives in Chicago, and I said, um, I have to go downtown because I didn't know the city that well. So I said, I have to go downtown because I'm supposed to go and meet this guy at the Wall Street Journal. He's going to take me to lunch. And so she says, well, what are you going to wear? And I said, well, whatever I wear to, to class that day. Uh-huh. And she says, no, I don't think so. Come by. <laughs> so <laughs> she goes after work and she buys me a blue suit. Uh-huh. And so I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. He's just taking me <laughs> to lunch. But she's like, no, you know, you should wear this. And so I said, fine. So the next day, I put on the blue suit, make my way downtown on the train, and I meet this guy, and he starts to take me around to meet everybody in the office, introduce me to all the reporters, all the other editors, and about maybe an hour into the thing, I realize I'm being interviewed. Yep. And so he says, so he, he, he takes me into his, his office, and he's got a stack of resumes on his desk, and he says, we're hiring for summer interns, and... You know, um, if you had a resume, I'd love to see it. But actually, my friend Charlie called me. He says, you're great and that I should hire you. So I'd really love to offer you an internship. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and I actually thought, hmm, I don't really want to do this. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if I do, I get to take off a quarter of school and I would get paid. And I had just bought a new car. I wasn't really sure I was going to pay for it. And I would have three more months that I could pay for my car. So right. I take the internship <laughs> right? And, and just fell in love with it, really, and then understood that was when my first real understanding of what the Wall Street Journal was. Because remember, when I read it in college, I only looked at the, that marketplace story that we were supposed to be doing a report on. So I'd actually never read the front page story. It's an amazing story. That's my life. So yeah. it's a fluke. You see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and and do you do you truly look at it as a fluke, or do you uh, are you at all the type of person that looks at it as kind of the uh, the universe conspiring? Uh, I am that kind of person, so I call it a fluke. Um, but I do believe that um, things happen for for a reason. So let me tell you the first part of that story, and I don't want to take up like all of your time. No, you're on this, great. But, so there's a pre-story to that story, which is that I started writing obits for the Times Picayune when I was a junior in college. So I would go at night and I would write these obits. And when in my junior year, I applied for an internship at the Wall Street Journal. There was a question on the app. I mean, at the the Times Picayune, I wanted to be um, I wanted to be a reporter, but they did not allow what is it like whatever it was the the year I was in school you were not allowed to be a reporter you had to apply as like a news editor or something like a what do you a copy editor yep so but but because I wanted to work there I was going to apply as this copy editor 
So there was a question on a form that asked, what is your most recent year completed? So it was not the end of my junior year. So I wrote sophomore or circled sophomore. So I didn't get the internship. I was devastated. Couldn't really understand why. So I went and I talked to the managing editor. And he said, oh, he says, no, we misunderstood that. We thought that it meant that you were currently a sophomore, but we've already filled all the positions. So I didn't get the internship, which actually was great because I probably then would have ended up being a copy editor. Right. And never getting to be a reporter. So, and then, which meant that I wouldn't have had a reporting internship that next year to work for Charlie. Right. So another example of, uh, of the universe conspiring. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Kalmetta, what, uh, if I may ask, what did your parents do? Um, my parents. So first, I grew up with my grandmother in Mississippi. Okay. My mother um, worked for the state. Both my parents worked for the state uh, of Illinois. And my mother at that time, she just actually retired a year or so ago. But she was working, she worked in different jobs for the state. But at that time, she was working for the Office of Employment Security. So what she actually did was coach people on going out for interviews. So that was the other reason why I think her antenna was up. It right. Was, you know, helping people get employed. What influence would you say, I mean, obviously, besides um, uh, instructing you to, uh, to, get, to wear the suit, but what influence would you say that she, or, and you said your grandmother, have mm-hmm. ha- had over your career path? You know, um, it, and it was something I didn't realize until, or, or didn't sort of really actualize in my mind until I was older, maybe certainly grad school. But when I was when I was a kid, as early as I can remember, because I lived with my grandmother and my mother was in Mississippi, I spent summers in Chicago with my mother, and I went to school in Mississippi with my grandmother. So my, I wrote my mother lots of letters, and she would always call me and she would say she loved to read my writing and how I was such a good writer and you know how she saw the kids writing and she thought it was just so great and it was so encouraging in a way that I didn't even realize. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Until until later and and it wasn't just her. Like so my my aunts who are her younger sisters who, you know, I mostly grew up with though they were, you know, about ten years older than I was, when they were in college, they would always make a point to tell me that writing was really important and if they thought that that was a really great strength that I had. Right. So that that helped a lot. My grandmother's influence, I mean, is, is, is tremendous, and it was never very specific around, oh, I think you're a good writer. It was really much more around always giving my best. So she was the kind of person who, um, you know, a great example, I remember when I was in sixth grade, and we got report cards. There's report card period, and I remember that I had a very good friend who had gotten a D on her report card, and she was at school trying to change it before we had to take. That was when they used to let you know the kids take their report cards home. Now you know now you have to like go and talk to the teacher and all that. So and you know she used white paper to you know change her grade and all that, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And and I, I had gotten I got a B in math, and I, the rest were all A's, but I got a B in math. And my grandmother refused to sign my report card. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, are you kidding me? My friends are getting D's and <laughs> trying to hide their grades. And she says, you know what? She says, I don't know about them. I don't live with them. I live with you. And I know that you come home 
and you don't do anything, you don't study. So that says to me, she says, if I thought a B was the best you could do, fine. She, she basically, she says, you know, I'm seeing you, you're not doing anything. She refused to sign it, and I had to take it back to school and say. <laughs> she, she's not satisfied. Yes. Um, I'm going to jump around here for a second. On a scale of um, 0 to 10, where 0 is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow, how large of a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date? I think I would say a 7. And I say that because so I, I grew up poor. And, and it's an it's a odd thing to say because I never really felt poor, I would say that. Uh, <laughs> But I, 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 you know, aware that, you know, I didn't, we didn't have some things other kids had, and, and not that I, ne I ever felt like I wanted for a lot. All my needs were met, but I was well aware that we were not rich, you know, well off. So when I got out of uh, college, the good thing is that I had no college debt. I had no student loans because I had been on scholarships, so that was good. But remember, I had bought this car, so I had to pay for that. <laughs> Um, and I knew that I needed to make money and I was really fortunate. So I can't say that, um, there was some loftier thing at the time that I accepted my first job at the Wall Street Journal that I wanted to do that wouldn't have paid as much that I chose that over, but I was very conscious of, um, of money and that I, you know, needed, that I wanted to make money and needed to make money. Um, and I would say that since that I have taken on, I've taken jobs that have paid more um, that had to do with the fact that, okay, now I have a family and I have kids and, and I have other things that I have to be conscious of. I will say that in my most recent job, um, I was very deliberate, and which is kind of what bumps it down to a seven, I think. I was very deliberate and making a decision that it not be about money. I honestly, I, and I was, I had learned enough by then to know that you could negotiate, that you, you know, you could get more, that, you know, people should try to get what they're worth. I honestly was not interested in making so much money that I felt that I couldn't leave. Right. Yep. Because by this point I'm back to, I need to write a book because I'm supposed to be doing that. So at the same time, while I need to, earn a paycheck, I also want to be able to have the time and space to do the things that I want to do because I just want to do them. Was there ever a point where the topic or the issue of money that you feel looking back overrode, let's say, your love of writing? Um, no, no. I've actually been very fortunate in that every job I've had I have, that, that has been an element of it, that, um, you know, sometimes um, it's one thing. It, they've been different because it's one thing to sort of write for the audience of the Wall Street Journal, right? Right. And the reach that that brings with it than to, you know, write press releases or, you know, internal uh, stories for a corporation like J.P. Morgan Chase. Those are different things. But I have always had that opportunity to write and to get better at it and hone my skills. Um, and honestly, even more so than the writing in some ways, to 
find and help tell really cool stories. And when you're thinking about these different types of writing, um, whether it's for the Wall Street Journal and its reach or press releases for uh, J.P. Morgan, is the satisfaction level the same? I mean, are you are you sort of indifferent as long as you're writing? No. No. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say while the satisfaction level might not be the same in terms of the impact that that um, what I'm writing can have, specifically in terms of reach and the number of eyes that yep. get to go on it, I will say that, and, and sometimes perhaps to a fault, that I give all of it the same measure of, um, of care and commitment, if yep. that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a so lot of that, sense. That is what's important to me. So I will spend as much time really wanting to write, you know, so, and you know this as yep. well as I do, how much the news industry has changed. And so press release isn't just a press release, a press release anymore, right? Right. So it, you know, it gets posted on, um, on websites and, and, you know, anybody can see it. And so it's, it's more about storytelling now than maybe it was at one time. And so I, I, that doing that to the absolute best to me is just as important yep. as anything else I write. Like, am I telling this in the best possible, most compelling way? So you'd say you're driven more by the, you know, the output uh, the quality of the output than, yes. than anything else. Yes, very much so. Another question for you. Over the years, um, if you think about the types of advice uh, or counsel that your friends or family and colleagues have sought from you, has there been a consistent thread? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, there are different kinds of advice for different things, but um, you know, it, since I was 13 years old, my family has taught me out to help them with writing. I started writing speeches for my aunt, who, um, who's a lawyer and um, a member of the state legislature in Mississippi. I've been writing speeches for her since I was about 14 years old. Yeah. But that's been consistent. Like, even now, my family members will call me in the middle of the workday and ask me to write one sentence yeah. or... You know, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm sitting there like, really? You've got like <laughs> three degrees? Are you really calling and asking me this? Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, that has been, you know, very consistent. And, it, you know, it's not the only thing that I think people seek my advice for. Um, interestingly, people seek my um, financial advice, which I think is kind of a misnomer because, I work for the Wall Street Journal. They think I know something. But, you know, I probably would have thought the same thing, right? And, and I did write business stories, though. So, yep, um, yep. I do know some stuff. But, of course. Yeah. Um, right. So really from every which angle that we look at you and your career, it's, just, it, it's writing. It has writing all over it, no matter how you slice it or dice it. So actually, it has writing all over it, but also sort of communicating. So one other thing that I find that I enjoy very much and have a passion for um, is, I don't know if I want to call it public speaking, though that's some of it, but so I will say, you, you can write it. So at Ketchum, um, I facilitated um, a lot of sort of discussions and sessions with clients 
Um, so that's sort of facilitator role. Um, and then some, sometimes it's sort of public speaking. I'm usually very comfortable in front of a room, on a panel, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, and so actually the, the reason that I sort of ended up being steered into communications initially was because um, most people see it when I was, you know, in my senior year of high school that they thought that I should be a television journalist. But that actually wasn't offered at my college. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, and not that it was, you know, still like necessarily out of the question, but that is um, another area that I enjoy. And when you think about that area, how would you compare that? I mean, the, let's say the feeling of that. How would you compare the feeling of that to the feeling of, uh, of writing? So, um, actually, it's, it's a terrific question because I've, I've had time to think about this through the years. And um, Catch and Pilot was the first place where I realized this, is that as much as I like to write and like the final product and enjoy that feeling, yep. um, verbal communication comes easier for me. It never feels like work. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so now what I have done in my current role is that I create opportunities for myself to do that. And it's almost like having a day off. Like, like it it just, um, and you know, there's some things about writing that come easy for me, but I would say that I sweat more over writing than I do over standing in front of a room and, you know, talking. And then thinking, thinking back, uh, how far back would you say that um, awareness of that particular um, part of you, the verbal communicator, how far back can you, do you think that, that became a thing for you? Uh, probably ever since I could talk, but certainly, um, you know, four or five years old. Um, it's, so I grew up, or, um, I don't know how much you know about sort of African-Americans in the South. So part of the uh, of our tradition in Mississippi, where I grew up in in my small town, was uh, was is one of sort of um, oratory. Yep. So in church, in you know the Black Baptist Church, we always the the children always had to get up and give speeches. You had to give up and talk about talk get up and talk about the Sunday school lesson for that day. And you know I was always the one who raised my hand to you know, uh, have the, we used to call it the first and last say in my, in my church. Yep. It's like somebody got up before Sunday school started it and said what the lesson was going to be about, which meant you would have had to have read it and studied. Right. <laughs> and then at the end, somebody got up and summarized. And if I was always sort of raising my hand for that, I always stood up at Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and gave speeches. Um, and a lot of that was about memorization when it came to the speeches, but I also had that other comfort, and I did the same things in school. You know, always very quick to raise my hand for that and always had a comfort level with it. So this is super interesting. So, Calmetta, what... um, So you had both of these sort of side-by-side skills and, and interests. Why does the writing come to the forefront and this one seemingly drops back throughout the years? You know, that's, um, that's, that's an accurate um, observation um, and one I think about sometimes. Um, I think it is that, so sometimes, remember I was telling you that um, I, 
I recently picked up this journal that I had been writing in. Yes. I've, I've known where it, where it was. I just had never had time to really go back and look at it. But the beautiful thing to me about writing is that it lasts. Right. Yep. So, yeah. So today you could record a, um, you know, yourself giving a speech or whatever and look back on that. But to me, there is something particularly satisfying about reading and rereading something that I've written. I honestly, maybe that sounds like vain, but, um, you know, sometimes I go back and I read like old stories that I wrote in the Wall Street Journal and I think, wow, cool. I wrote that or yeah. old speeches I've written or poems or whatever. So, and so it's not just, um, you know, kind of that uh, very factual um, journalistic writing, but, you know, I've written poetry through the years. I, you know, kind of like fun essays or, um, you know, I wrote the, my first op-ed for a newspaper when I was a junior in high school. I don't know, for me, there's something about the written word that um, is very lasting. Yeah, and so it's the, um, are you basically saying that it's the emotional connection to that lasting aspect of the written word that's sort of you think brought that more forward? I think so. I think it's um, you know, I can take something I've written and hand it to a lot of people or email it to a lot of people or you know, there's um, there's just greater opportunity for more people to see it. And and um, when you were younger and you're, right, you're giving all these talks at the church, was there any part of you that was going to try to look for opportunities to give these talks at school or? Oh, I did it. I did it you at did school it. as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. What, uh, so, what, so point, I, what, what point does it, what point does it start falling back? Um, I would say, so there, there was a time that I did think about, um, even while I was at the Wall Street Journal, when they first launched the partnership with CNBC, you know, I did do some, um, you know, the auditions for On Air, and they really liked me a lot. For some reason, every time um, they asked me to actually go on, the reporters were striking. And it was frowned on to sort of, my going to speak on CNBC about a story that I'd written was viewed as sort of crossing the picket line. So in many ways, I felt like every opportunity I had to do that in a bigger way for whatever reason, you know, you think that, oh, there'll be another time, there'll be another time, um, got shut down. Like, it was seriously, like, it's almost like a joke. It's like that whole, that question about the universe, like, it works in both ways. Right. Like, sometimes they say, so what was it that made that happen? Like, seriously, three times I was asked to come to go on. Right. <laughs> and we were always, the reporters were always striking. And, um, you know, it, after that, I got asked to... Um, participate in a, as a, you know, a regular contributor for what was going to be this internet, um, a business show yep. in Chicago. And, you know, I thought, oh, that's really cool. Well, I was pregnant. So I was kind of not really feeling going on and being seen pregnant. Um, <laughs> but I was still going to do it. Yeah. Funding fell through, like, so, and right. so, you know, like, so there's always kind of been something and so I, that sort of held it back that way on a professional level. Yeah. Um, but there have been other, you know, opportunities like facilitating a workshop or speaking to a group of, of women or whatever it is at church that, um, that I've still been able to do. And at some point, you know, honestly too, you know, life happens and of course, 
I've had some periods of where I'm dealing with different illnesses that just all I've had is the energy to do my job and take care of my, you know, feed my family. Sure. Yeah. Uh, No, that's very interesting. And so thinking about it now, um, side by side, is it, are you, do you feel like that part of you, do you wish that part of you would have gotten more developed or are you uh, now just saying you do? Yep. I do. I I have those thoughts, but at the same time, um, I don't know that I would trade what I have now and the things that have happened in between. I would trade some of the sickness that I had to deal with, but I've learned things from that as well. Yep. Um, that I think will be helpful to my kids and, and family. Um, but I'm also, you know, and I, I'm clearly not getting any, any younger, but I think that I'm seeing things differently. I don't feel as I approach 45 that like time is up. You know, when, when we, when I was younger, my husband and I, every year on our anniversary, would sit down and we would, you know, talk about, okay, by the time we're this age, we're going to be doing this and we're going to be doing that. And, you know, we've blown through all of those things. Right. Um, right. And, and, and I, I don't know, something about the last couple of years, I just don't feel like I'm racing against some clock. And I feel like I've enjoyed very much the things I've gotten to do. I feel like I've been incredibly blessed that have made great opportunities and you know like I said it's it's I think about this so much that it's it's pretty um, amazing in some ways but I do think more and more about being that little girl trying to write that book and having nothing to say I feel now like I have stuff to say yeah that's amazing one last question for you and then we can wrap Mm -hmm. up um how uh thinking about your career to date how would you advise uh, knowing what you know today how would you advise your younger self um so i had uh sort of a little bit of an epiphany maybe about three or four years ago where i realized that i had never looked for a job i've never looked for a job huh. they've always come to me and and i made that decision at that time to be more deliberate about the kinds of work that I do. And, and they've been good opportunities, and I, I, for the most part, would not turn down any that, that I took, you know, in, yeah. in hindsight. But there is something I think about. I do look at people who are very driven, and they know what they want to do. So, for instance, my husband is an attorney. Yep. And when we uh, were dating, he wanted to work for the federal defender program. He wanted to be a federal defender. And at that time he was working for the ACLU. He called this office. I promise you every week for a year Yeah. and asked them if they had an opening. He would call me and he would say, do you think I should call? I would say, no, I really don't. And he would call, he, then he would call me back and say, I called. They still don't have an opening. And I just, I just would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, uh, and maybe, maybe I should be doing that. So that's the, the one piece of advice I would give us is that, to be more thoughtful and deliberate and to sort of, and, and I think I'm getting better at this as I'm older, sort of setting, you know, the course, setting my own course. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and, and if I could just follow that up, if, if you had done that, what do you think would have been different? What would you be doing today, or where would you be doing it? So I think, so you were asking me in the beginning about um, 
and it was sort of about goals and what I wanted to yeah. do. So I think, for instance, so, you know, first there was, okay, I want to write, right? I want to, you know, write a book or whatever. And at some point along the way, so I actually did get an opportunity to write a book. My first front page story in the Wall Street Journal, I got a call from a publisher. I was an intern. This was why I was still an intern, asking to, that they wanted to make a book about a story that I had written. Um, and, you know, would I write this book? I'm 23 years old. Yeah. And uh, I, so I, you know, talked to my editor about it, the guy who, same guy who hired me for no reason other than his friend told him to. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he says, you know, because it's so the book that was about McDonald's, actually. Like, it was, I'd written this sort of funny story, what the Wall Street Journal calls an A-head, about people who collect McDonald's Happy Meal toys. Yep. And they thought this was a great subject. And I found, like, really amazing people. It's like one woman had, she basically turned her own her whole basement into a museum for McDonald's Happy Meal. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> literally. Oh, like, amazing. And, and um, so, um, and he said, there's better stuff you could write about. So I turned it down. Because, you know, he was like, oh, there'll be plenty of other opportunities. That's what he said to me, right? I've never been asked to write a book since then. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, so, and there I go again. I forgot what you were asking. No, yeah, asking. we were just saying if, if, you had, if you had pursued life the way oh, your oh, husband. So, so what I did, so then by the time I was, you know, finishing up journalism school, I remember I did have a plan. I wanted my own magazine. Right. I arrive at journalism school, and literally the first day, the instructor says print journalism is dying. And we spent probably the first month of school talking about how print journalism was dying. Yep. So I was a little discouraged. <laughs> but then, then I sort of thought, um, you know, I hadn't really, like nobody I think had yet really figured out this internet thing. It was still pretty early. Yep. And, and what that was going to mean for journalism. And then I get this great offer to, you know, come and work for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when I graduated, and I still kind of had in the back of my mind, eventually I would go and do that. But by then, I was working, I was having fun. You know, people recognized my name. You you know, back in the day, we actually used to sort of get fan mail. Like, right. <laughs> and, um, um, but if I had, I think if I had been more deliberate about, you know, sort of going after my goal, that I would probably have at least had a magazine by now. Maybe it would have failed, but I would have tried it. So, you know, for instance, I have a, um, a girlfriend from undergrad who wanted to be a film producer. She, that's what she wanted to do. And, and, and the whole time that I was making really what was considered at that time good money at the Wall Street Journal while she was in New York, you know, um, living hand to mouth. Right. Trying to, <laughs> trying to produce films. I was thinking, why doesn't she just get a job? Right. right. Um, and, so, and so she she's gotten to do cool things. She has not yet kind of had that breakthrough. But I've often thought, wow! But she can always say that she really pursued what she really wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Calmetta Coleman, thank you so much. This was a, a fascinating conversation. I can't thank you enough for, for sharing the journey in such a frank and honest way. All right. Well, I hope you got something useful out of it. 
thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.